Welcome to episode 53 of the Running on Om podcast with Leslie Salmon Jones, creator of Afro Flow Yoga, yoga teacher, and dancer. Leslie was one of my first yoga teachers in Boston, and although I'm not a dancer by any means, Afro Flow Yoga created a space where I could explore dances from the African diasporas with live drumming and practice yoga in an inclusive community. I had the honor of recording this podcast with Leslie in my kitchen, and I'm excited to feature a woman whose radiance can be felt even through the audio speaker of a computer or iPod. Before we jump into the interview, I really would like to express my gratitude to all those who have supported Running on Ohm this past year. The podcast almost is at its one-year anniversary and needs your help to continue growing and reaching more listeners. If you're tuning in right now, please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider leaving a review on iTunes. I'm really open to feedback or questions, and I encourage you to leave your comments on our Facebook page. Let's jump into the show with Leslie. In this episode, Leslie discusses her dance background, how she created Afroflow Yoga, and issues of diversity in the yoga world. Her journey being a professional dancer for the Alvin Ailey Company revealed. What is Afroflow Yoga and how a trip to Africa inspired its creation? The riveting story of her very first Afroflow Yoga class. Issues of diversity in the yoga community and the healing work Leslie is doing to build bridges. Upcoming events for Afroflow Yoga, including collaborations with the renowned Omega Institute. Leslie's perspective on nutrition from what she eats to advice for those interested in eating clean. All this and more on the Running on Ohm podcast. Oh. Welcome, Leslie, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you, Julia. I'm honored to be here. So I usually don't get the honor of getting to actually sit down with someone for a podcast interview. Usually it's on Skype. So this is pr- a big treat to have you in my kitchen. Oh, thank you. Yeah, to have your radiant being next to me oh. is quite an honor. Thank you. I'm honored. I love you, Julia. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. So going back in time, I know dance was your first movement form of expression. How did you find dance? And when did you know that that was your first love? Hmm. Well, I, when I was seven years old, my aunt, Marjorie Sorrell, she had a ballet studio and we started studying, we meaning my sister and I, started studying with her and then on Saturdays my family we used to go to Black Heritage. I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood (laughs) so in Toronto so we would go to Black Heritage on the weekends and we'd learn um, African dance and we'd learn art and history, Black history and so I had this beautiful combination of this very uh, beautiful European dance form and then the African dance form. Mm. And eventually you ended up joining the Alvin Ailey Company in New York. How did that happen? So when I was a little girl, again growing up in Toronto, when I was growing up it was, I came from a very multicultural family. So my grandmother, the only grandparent I knew was Scottish-Irish, and then my three grandparents who had passed away since I was born they were Jamaican and I always felt very very Jamaican I felt my Jamaican roots Um, so my my uh, cousins were blonde blue 
Solid Black. We had a Native Canadian. I have a Native Canadian cousin who was adopted into the family. A Filipino cousin adopted into the family. I went to an Anglican church, and I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. So culture was very interesting. There was definitely, for me, a lack of identity, really. So that's, there's a flip side to that, where I really didn't see a lot of um, people like me, other than my brothers and sisters, in our neighborhood, in our school system. And in, uh, when I was growing up, in the, even in the uh, curriculum, there wasn't a lot of black history. And it was like, where did we come from? <laughs> and then there was like Roots, the movie Roots that came out and the whole about slavery. And I was like, wow, that, I can't believe that. And so artistically, there weren't a lot of companies or a lot of dance that I saw people on stage that looked like me. So when I was 13, this company, Alvin Ailey, came to Toronto and I saw these people who looked similar to me and they were leaping across the stage with muscles and grace and, and balance and fearlessness and spirit lots of great spirit so I thought oh, my heart just leaped out of my chest and I said one day I would love to be on that stage and so when I was uh, growing up now, Julia, I wasn't always as focused as you. You were very focused. <laughs> I wasn't always focused. I lost my way. I think it was an early identity crisis. And uh, I had to figure out, I'll skip over a lot, but I had to figure out my way back to my heart, back to what was true to me. And I remember, uh, I remembered Alvin Ailey. And so I had quit dance when I was about mid-teens. I quit for the most ridiculous reason. I quit because my, of my physicality. I quit because I had muscles and I had, I just felt, I just, it, it, there weren't a lot of girls who had a lot of muscles and so I just, my, didn't have a great body image. And of course now it's like, to have, look strong and healthy is a great thing. Back then, I didn't think it was such a great thing. <laughs> so I ended up uh, retraining in dance, and I worked really hard for six months. I had to reconnect. I got in ballet class, modern class I got, and I worked, 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 rebuilding myself and my self-esteem, really. And then I, um, I auditioned for Ailey one summer. And uh, this was for the summer intensive program. And when I say intensive, I mean intensive. You're talking extreme heat. <laughs> You're talking hours of dance and training. It's like being in the military. And then people who come from all over the world on the highest level of training. So it was intense. And, uh, and so I did that and then I ended up staying and the rest is history. It's just ended up that became part of my life. Um, How old were you that summer? Oh, I was uh, in my early twenties. In my yeah, like late teens, early twenties. Yeah. And when were you first exposed to yoga? Was it during your time at Alvin Ailey? Yes, it was a requirement. Yoga was a requirement. So. 
on the curriculum when I stayed to do um, training, a two-year intensive program training, yoga was a requirement. We had no choice. And I, it was a struggle at first. I remember downward-facing dogs felt excruciating. <laughs> it was all in my arms, and the teacher would come and correct me, and it was, yeah. So, and then it just became such a beautiful part of my practice, and I really believe it helped sustain me through my dance training a lot of people we started out with a program about 40 students and we ended up with 12 people dropped like flies it was people were getting injured they, they it was very intense so I attribute the yoga really because people could skip yoga but I, I attribute to being disciplined and sticking with it to um, really helping sustain me the health and longevity of your yeah, body completely absolutely that's incredible. Absolutely. Now you've since gone on to yes. fuse yoga and dance yes. in Afroflow yoga. Yes. Tell listeners first who don't have a clue what Afroflow yoga, what is it and how did you create it? Was it your during your time at Alvin Ailey that it came in to be? Uh, well, first of all, for those who don't know uh, what Afroflow yoga is, it's a combination of dances of the African diaspora, so Afro-Caribbean dance and um, some West African pieces, all kinds of uh, dances of the African diaspora. And it's uh, combined with vinyasa and Kundalini-influenced movements, uh, yoga, along with live music. So. Um, as you know, Julia, my husband is my partner with this, and he's a wonderful musician. And then we have other musicians who come in, and they play um, drum rhythms, and they also have uh, beautiful chimes and something called the Choli Lira, which is from Sudan. It's a beautiful string instrument. So a lot of different healing instruments and modalities, and it's for everybody of all walks of life, all ages, sizes, colors, shapes, and you don't and levels. And you don't have to have an afro. That's the most important thing. <laughs> Nor do you have to be a dancer or a yogi. Nor do you have to be a dancer or a yogi. Exactly. It's just you just come with an open heart. One thing that we say is no judgment of self and others. And I mean no judgment without a purpose. So the other day I was teaching, for example, in Connecticut to this beautiful mind-body center and it was for people who've been a, have suffered from addictions and mental illness and one man came up to me and he was really struggling with this non-judgment he's really struggling with this non-judgment thing he said my friend over here during our practice he actually judged me and he corrected me and he actually said oh you've got to put your foot over here and it was very helpful so he said, judgment is helpful. And I said, yes, judgment, judge, yes, judgment with a purpose. When it comes to judging yourself, like, oh, um, I'm not good enough, I have two left feet. When you typically come to something new, oftentimes the mind is like a monkey and it holds on to these stories that maybe these belief systems that you've had. So we encourage an Afroflow for people to let go of those stories. And it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to do that. It's an encouragement to do that. And then even judgment of others, even like, oh, wow, look at that woman lifting her head around her neck or whatever it is. And, and again, that also um, 
It creates a safe space, a safe space within and a safe space within the circle of our community that we're creating in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's very vulnerable as well as beautiful work that you do and in the workshops and classes I've been that you've led, you really do create that safe space for all levels. Mm. I love it. So how did that happen? How did you decide to fuse all these passions of yours into the practice that you now teach around the world? Mm. Well, I think that there's part of um, my journey that uh, I, I, I sit in meditation and prayer and it's a listening, it's a deep listening. So sometimes it's like, you know, I could say I've decided to do it, I just took action when I was pulled and led to do something. So it was um, after my father had passed away in 2005 and my husband and I went to, Jeff and I went to Africa Ancestry is a real big part. Like I said, I didn't know my Jamaican side, and I knew everything about my Scottish-Irish. We have a book that's four inches thick (laughs) about all the relatives who came from Dundee, Scotland, but nothing about the Jamaican side because my father was orphaned. So I really wanted to trace where our ancestors were from on that side. Now, a lot of Jamaican were taken from Ghana, from West Africa, through the slave trade. And so that I knew. In fact, Ghana, West Africa, is like a, it's like a big Jamaica. So Jeff and I decided to go to West Africa and really find out more and go to the land. And on the land, on the coast, is the slave, are the slave castles. And they are castles, Julia. They look like big castles. Underneath the castles are the dungeons where the Africans were taken and held in captivity for two months. After a two month journey on land by foot, they survived that, then they were put in the dungeons. If they survived that for two months with very little food and water and communication and air, then they went on the ships for two months. If they survived that, then they got to go into slavery. (laughs) So it was quite the process. So in learning this and having them explain the process and being on the land was an answer to your ancestors' prayers. Because you know, if someone's taken from home, if you're taken from home, you're gonna say, I wanna go back home. You know that's the prayer. It's not like, oh, woohoo, we're going on a, you know, on a ship, on a thing. So that was so empowering. And from that, I just, my cells, my DNA, it was like they were being fed knowledge and wisdom and truth. And I could feel, like I could feel goosebumps, you could really feel the uh, awakening. And from that point, I started really focusing and meditating on my ancestors. I created an ancestor shrine, so an altar. So I pray and I listen. The ancestors are like our angels, you know, they've, they, and they've, they had stories that got us to this point. Without our ancestors, we wouldn't be here. So it's like really listening to that wisdom. And uh, I was invited to teach Afro-Caribbean dance and yoga separately at this Roth Spirit Festival in Sedona, Arizona in 2008. And through meditation before that, Afro Flow Yoga came to me in a meditation. The name, the whole concept. 
It's as simple as that. I wrote it down and I submitted it. I wrote down exactly, just as I described to you, Dances of the African Diaspora and all of that. And I submitted it to the Rossmere Festival. I said, this is what I will be teaching. And that's how it happened. And so I trusted that. So I, it was a listening. It was through a listening. There was nothing forced about it. It was just a natural thing. And then it happened and I kept praying. I said, okay, now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> now what? And so the first, um, first session we had was on a Friday night. And it was on in the mountains in Sedona. And my sister was there. And she's a beautiful, beautiful. She's a healer. She's amazing. She doesn't play the drums. And I said, Heather, my vision said I have to have dr a drummer. And there's no one. Can you please drum for me? <laughs> so she started. And first we had, like, maybe we had 12 people in that first class. And people seemed to like it. And, and then the next night, it was a full moon. And it was a Saturday night, and my mom was there too. So I always say, Mom, you were there for the birth of Afro Flow. <laughs> so it was a Saturday night, and I thought all day, I was like, I really need to find a drummer, but I couldn't find any drummers. It was about half an hour before I was to teach. My mom and I were eating, and she said, Sweetheart, you really should go find some drummers. And I said, I know, but like, I can't force it. And I hear drumming. And it sounded like African drumming. So I go, and in this tent, there were tents all over the place, were these amazing sound healers from Brazil. And my husband and I had been to Bahia, Brazil, which is one of the last few African countries left, or places, uh, cultures left in Bahia. And that's where they were from. And they were playing the drums, and then I, I had to go. I had two minutes to teach, and I said to my sister, Please ask them if they'll come accompany for Africa. So she did. And so now it's just my mom, my sister, her boyfriend, and I. There were tiki torches set up on the lawn. We set them up. And the drummers weren't there yet. And there were about five students. And then one drummer came. And then there were about 12 students. Next thing I know, now it's dark now outside, full moon, tiki torches going. I went into a trance. And all I know is there were about 60 people, and there were about 12 drummers, and that was the birth of Afroflow Yoga, and I had nothing to do with it, <laughs> except for just show up, <laughs> and that was the birth. Yeah. That leaves me speechless. I've heard that story before, and every time I feel completely <laughs> wowed. That was it. I just got out of the way, and that's really my mantra, is to get out of the way. Mm. And let spirit, as we were talking before we start the podcast, is uh, the power of spirit and really listening to spirit, which is uh, my belief is, is, is within the trees. It's, it's all over, all around us. Spirit is, is everywhere and we're connected. We are really connected. And so when we can tap into... Um, something beyond us, our physical being, our head and our feet and our toes and all these things, and really listen to what's happening around us and within us. And that's when a lot of magic happens. Definitely. Yeah. This is more personal, but I know your father has sadly passed. Yes. 
How do you think Afroflow and the work you do, the ancestor work in Afroflow yoga, has connected you to your dad and his legacy? Because he was a pretty amazing man. Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, it, I, I really feel so blessed and so grateful. When my father passed away, uh, he, you know, he, he had been orphaned and then became uh, went put himself through med school and became a surgeon. And he was a real healer. He really helped. I used to work in his office. My dad used to pray before every surgery, and his his patients used to come in and just be so grateful that he saved their lives. And he worked with a lot of morbidly obese patients when a lot of doctors wouldn't. It's a messy surgery. It's, he did. He was a pioneer in gastric bypass surgery. He had a lot of patients who became family members with us because it, there was such a spiritual connection. So that's how he lived his life. And I also know he believed in the well-being of people. And he believed in everybody. He really believed in everybody, um, the potential. It doesn't matter what background you're from. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're rich. It doesn't matter what color you are. These were really the um, principles that my parents, both my parents ingrained deeply. So I feel like Afroflow Yoga, the, the uh, container of Afroflow Yoga really holds those principles because many people who come in are, it doesn't really matter what side, like where they're coming from. They're just coming to feel good about themselves. Mm, it's that, it's coming back to what you said about that non-judgment and yes. holding that space. Yes. And it sounds like your father also embodied that. Exactly. And how he lived his life. Yeah, because really, I mean, a lot of patients were shunned who would come to him. They were shunned by other doctors. Wow. They just didn't have the compassion. And my dad really had a lot of compassion for everybody. Mm. And I think that's, and he loved dance. He was a phenomenal dancer, and he was a musician. He loved Jeff, my husband, and he loved when every time my, dad and my husband would play music, he would just beam. He had Alzheimer's, and he just loved my husband so much. Every time Aww. Jeff would play, he said, play the bass, and my dad would just dance and love it. So he would be right into Afroflow yoga. That's awesome. <laughs> Changing gears, I know you've been doing a lot of work really pioneering diversity within the yoga world. I know for myself at least, oftentimes I walk into yoga classes and it's a pretty homogeneous crowd, mostly all white, and to pay for a yoga class, you have to be able to afford it. And so tell me the work you do and what it's like for you to be an African-American yeah. female teacher who's really at the forefront of the Boston yoga community. Mm. Yeah, well... You know, when we think about the roots of yoga, uh, we think about uh, we think about India. Uh, a lot of people don't realize and know that uh, yoga has also been in Africa for thousands of years. So when I think about, and that's in ancient Egypt, by the way, Julia. When you see on the hieroglyphics, you see the beautiful yoga poses, and so I feel like even though yoga has been a trend say maybe I don't know if trend is the right word in the last 10 to 20 years here in the US it's an ancient um, tradition and I believe it's within all of us all of our cells and our DNA you see it in the animals you see the animals doing it and those are our best teachers and babies you see it in the kids so there is no separation between anyone here on the planet and yoga 
I really believe that. When you go to Africa, Julia, which I'm so excited that you're going, you'll see people, when we were there, we saw these women and children walking, they're holding bananas, jeans, wood, everything on their heads, and they're walking up mountains. And if that's not yoga, <laughs> I don't know what is. So it's like, it's really reminding each other the true origins of yoga and yoga is to unite to yoke so when we go into these studios historically we've come from a place of segregation and you know we still have a lot of healing to do in this country and around the world there's a lot of healing to do so i feel like this this um, expansion of yoga and it, how it's becoming more in the norm is a wonderful opportunity for us to use it as a tool to heal those wounds and break down those walls of segregation, not only within ourselves, but within our communities. So this is an opportunity and I really don't want to miss it. And so that's why as a woman of color, African-American, African-Canadian, um, in this community, I really want to express my voice for those who don't have one in this moment. Beautiful. And you already are doing that. Oh, thank you. What are you most excited about or looking forward to, whether it be this summer or in the upcoming year, a project, an event? or something personal in your life that's going on that you're really looking forward to? Mm. Well, I, I'm really excited about my work that I'm doing with Omega right now. I'm very excited. I love the Omega Institute uh, for many, many, many reasons. I feel like it uh, embodies this integration of, of there's an intersectionality, uh, integration of people coming from all different walks of life and, and you have mainstream and then you have like shamans come in. So you have a beautiful integration. They're also integrating um, the environment. So they have a center um, for sustainable living where they clean all the waste. They understand that thousands of people come and use their facilities and they've created this center that cleans all the waste. So when you're there, you can actually see where your waste is going and the plants are scrubbing that waste and it goes back into the land and comes back around. That's too cool. It's amazing. They also have a women in leadership center. So uh, this summer, Jeff and I are teaching a five day uh, Afroflow yoga retreat. And this will be the first time that Jeff and I are collaborating doing it. I've done it before with beautiful poet Ioka. Um, and so this year, Jeff and I are doing it during their family week, which is also all about families and integration and healing. It's the most exciting time to be at Omega. And then in September, I'm doing, uh, this, this is the second time running a women in leadership intensive uh, program with my co-faculty who I love and we've developed such a great relationship with Sharon Salzberg who founded Insight Meditation Center, and Malika Dutt, who's a human rights activist from India, and uh, Carla Goldstein, 
who is a wonderful, she's a co-founder of the Omega, uh, Omega Women Leadership and Michelle Bertrand, who also is a huge part of that center. So I'm really excited because the women who come through are really dedicated and it's about co-collaboration and having power with each other as opposed to power over. So with women leading, and men are so important, we are bringing in the divine masculine and feminine, balancing, we're no longer like, we are, we can be like men, we can wear shoulder pads, we can swear, we can do all these things. We're using our strengths as women, gatherers, to co-collaborate. And the group of women who came last year have gone on to create a sisterhood and they're changing the world. And this is what I'm really excited about. That's amazing. And listeners can get involved with that, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So all of this information is on our website on afroflowyoga.com. So and the, I'll definitely link to that in the oh, show thank notes. You. Yeah, so that's all. And, and, and there's lots of room, listeners, for um, the September Women in Leadership. I don't, I, I should probably be careful with that. I don't know if there's lots of room, but there's still room. And it's for um, guys. Uh, we, there is another women in, and men in leadership <laughs> in the uh, in the fall. Uh, for now, the one in September is the women uh, women in leadership, and it's all ages. And you don't have to be a big leader or leading a corporation. It's just being you and having your vision. And maybe if you don't know your vision, come just come and and sit in a circle and for five days it's really powerful beautiful now one of our first times meeting and connecting was at a urban retreat you taught at south oh, boston yeah. yoga and i remember during that retreat you made some amazing yummy fresh plant-based food yeah. i'm curious to hear from you a little bit about your nutrition philosophy and today i know you had a shake this morning yeah. what do you put in your shake and oh. how do you fuel yourself Oh, yes. Well, I, hmm. Well, first of all, water is the most important. Um, we have a, a Kangen water machine, alkaline water, and I love just drinking water. First thing I do in the morning, I drink water. I, I can't get enough water. Uh, and then it, uh, I start off with typically my green drink. I listen to my body. So, for, there's been many variations of the screen drink over the last 20 years, <laughs> but uh, I would say I start off right now. I do almond milk, aloe vera juice, bee pollen, raw ginger, flaxseed, uh, bananas today, lots of like fruits, the seasonal fruits. Like, so I have strawberries are delicious. I got some delicious local strawberries and blueberries and, um, and kale lots of kale and then uh, and then so I and then today I had a delicious big salad uh, mixed field greens and I put some avocado in there and some red onions and some bean sprouts and so protein is really really important so I feel like uh, greens and protein pretty much what I love to eat and I do if I'm doing bread I do the sprouted bread I love 
Ezekiel sprout, sprouted bread. Um, and uh, yeah, and I do eat fish. I eat fish about twice a week. Yeah. For someone who hears your diet, I imagine a lot of people would be inti- intimidated by it, by yeah. how clean and pure it is. Yeah. What kind of advice do you give for people who want to start to transform their diet, their nutrition, yeah. and be healing themselves through food? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a process, really, because it depends on you know, what you're, where you're coming from. So I always say to people, listen to your body. So what works for me might not work for you, Julia. Uh, so listen to your energy level. So really feel it out. If you eat a food, uh, and then you, it might be delicious, and then you're exhausted after, that's typically an indication that it might not be the best food to fuel you. And, um, and then the other thing is, is like oftentimes I used to eat when I was growing up. I mean, my parents gave me such a great diet, but when I was on my own I'd be like let's go to McDonald's let's eat let's have a big large coke and uh, big mac and large fries and (laughs) all of that Uh, Kentucky fried chicken (laughs) all of that disgusting food that was delicious to me then is now disgusting to me now however it was a process of of listening and I think what really accelerated was uh, dancing and training and I had to really fuel my my body because we were dancing eight hours a day training so you have to eat the right foods there wasn't a lot of time to digest and to get the right energy so I think for me it was a trial and error I've tried brown rice diets I've been vegan I've been vegetarian I've been (laughs) raw food I've done everything you can imagine and now it's listening it's listening. Mm. I go through phases where I just do raw food if that's what my body is asking me for. I really encourage people to listen. But sometimes to listen to your body, you have to actually eliminate things a little bit and go through a process. So I do cleanses. I do cleanse um, and give my body a break. I find when I cleanse seasonally, I was able to heal myself of my allergies. Uh, it gets rid of a lot of the mucus. And then when I start reintroducing foods after a cleanse, very slowly and gently, my body will tell me if it's the right food or not. Very interesting. Yeah. And I think that listening that you're encouraging people do is really paramount to both the health coaching work you do and is also a part of Afroflow Yoga. I mean, so much of what you're talking about is really listening to your spirit, listening to your ancestors. It's... It's very interconnected, I think, in your life. It is. And listening to your body. So if you have pain in a certain area, it's because your body is telling you something. It's not saying ignore it. It's saying, listen, there's something wrong here. There's something off balance. So that's the other thing. We're so used to being trained to just ignore things. So in our culture, I don't know if how much listening is really a piece of it. So I feel like it's really empowering when we can train ourselves to listen to those things that are off balance. And then we can actually go in and help ourselves heal, get the wisdom, get the information. Of course, along with doctors and, you know, you have to listen to what's right for you. Mm. Yeah. So to close up our interview, I have a few fun either or questions. Yes. Apples or oranges? 
I love them both. So seasonally in the fall, apples for sure. And then in the winter, I do more mandarin oranges. Mm. Love them. Early bird or night owl? I'm both. <laughs> Sorry, Julia. Both at the same time. No, so no. So naturally, I'm more of a night owl. I, that's the creative time in my life. Um, but with my work, I'm up early, and then I have to like get my clock early. I have to kind of go to bed early. But naturally. I'm more um, a night owl. I like to think and look at the stars and be with the moon. Smoothies or juices? Ooh. Well, I would say... I would say... Uh, oh, God. So, you know what? It's either... But right now, probably smoothies right now. And our last one, mountains or oceans? Oh my God, can I have both? <laughs> I visualize being on a mountaintop looking at the ocean. Okay. But I love, I love swimming in the ocean. So if I had to have my choice, I would say the ocean. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leslie, Thank for sharing you. your story on the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you, Julia. Keep up the great work. You're amazing. Right back at you. Thanks. Om. Thanks for listening to episode 53 of the Running on Om podcast with Leslie Salmon Jones, creator of Afroflow Yoga, yoga teacher, and dancer. If you would like to connect with Leslie and the Running on Om community, you can find us on runningonom.com, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The Running on Om podcast needs your help to continue growing and reaching more listeners. If you've just listened to the podcast, please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider leaving a review on iTunes. I'm always open to feedback or questions, and I encourage you to leave your comments on the Running on Ohm Facebook page. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.